Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I am your host, DF Bean Counter. You can follow me on Twitter at DF Bean Counter. With me for the first time ever, his maiden voyage on the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast Network is David Gotieri. You can follow him on Twitter at shit. What's your what's your name? <laughs> fantasy World. Missing the O. It's very complicated. You should consider simplifying that. I tried so many different ways to change that, but they have character limits in them. The, the O was the one that needed to go. That's just how it <laughs> broke down. So just to be clear, your name is, in fact, Gotieri. Like, that's on purpose. You, you, Your parents named you Gotieri. Their anse- your ancestors were goats. You continue to be a goat. This is all true, correct? Something like that. Something along those lines. <laughs> so uh, for those that don't know, David is wonderful. He is part of the Patreon, uh, Bulletproof, or uh, patreon.com forward slash Bulletproof FF. He is one of the featured analysts in the Discord and is a tight end expert, which there are like, there's not a lot of people that focus intently on tight ends. Why did you pick tight ends? I don't think I picked tight ends. I think the tight ends picked me. <laughs> uh, I never sought out to be the tight end guy when I started uh, doing fantasy. Like, that's just not how it broke down. I just, through my experience, like I, I had some hits in the late rounds early because I played 15 years of redraft before I was uh, into dynasty. So I had like the late round guys when Vernon Davis had his breakout year. And then I just eventually uh, stumbled upon Travis Kelsey and I started driving, drafting Travis Kelsey in like the third, fourth, Oh, that like the second round. Like, and I just started, my teams were great. I was doing a lot better investing in a top tight end in my teams that I didn't have a guy like Travis Kelsey. If I didn't hit, I just found like it be a miserable, miserable experience, <laughs> like trying to stream tight ends because it just was like, such a headache you're always chasing like the last week's score like and i i just eventually it became part of my bio like put it on my tombstone <laughs> top tight end means more than you think and uh eventually people started like calling me the tight end guy i'm like well i'm not really like more versed in tight ends like uh, than other people i just uh am enthusiastic about it but it just people started relying on me so i kind of was like forced to develop some sort of like process like to just give good advice because people are looking at me as the freaking tight end guy now i now i have to be relied upon to give good advice like specifically for positions so it became important for me to like develop some sort of like charting process where i was putting every tight end and just looking at it holistically and just like putting everything on paper and putting them color-coded and putting them all next to each other and then so it just kind of adds like uh, a way to compare and just see, you know, a, a whole profile. No, that makes sense. Can you, uh, the well, to start with, the tight end position is difficult, I would say. I feel like a lot of times people, how would I put it? People seem to think that the quarterback position is really, really difficult. And the quarterback position is difficult. But I would argue that the tight end position might be more difficult because at quarterback, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, runs fast, scores fantasy points on the ground. Pretty straightforward. Like if you're looking at who are the late round quarterbacks that have broken out and like smashed the past few years, like Lamar Jackson a few years ago, 
uh, Jalen Hurts last year, Justin Fields this year. Like it's pretty straightforward. But when you're looking at the tight ends that break out, like they just never do. <laughs> you know, like you never get like that smash breakout unless it's like a crazy TD season. And and even in the guys that get crazy TD seasons, like they're they're scoring like you know twelve points per game. And we're like, oh man, like this is tight end three. And then Travis Kelsey scoring like 20 points per game. And you're like, yeah, it's just not really like nobody else matters. So, and then when you look at it from like a prospecting standpoint, we're, we're looking at, you know, the first round picks aren't always amazing. Whereas with quarterback, again, if you're like, ah, it's a first round pick, the guy can run, it's probably going to be pretty good. So what I want you to tell me is how do I get the right tight ends? How do you know which ones are going to smash eventually? And uh, is quarterback or tight end a more fantasy or a more difficult position to scout for fantasy i would definitely agree that tight ends a lot harder to scout and i think the one thing you kind of harp on is like trying to find the next guy like a lot of it really is the fact is there's almost exclusively repeat performers at the tight end position like they are rare and the guys to do it are probably going to be the guys who do it again and like you just see like, when you line up like the past 10 years, even like all of the top season, it's the same guys, like their names, like five, six times, like over and over again. Like there just aren't many people at the tight end position who will get to a point of mattering at any point in their career, because it, it probably is like one of the hardest positions to play in football because they're asked to do so many different things. Yeah, no, it's it's wild. Like there's, I like, I I am. I was really into Noah Fant and T.J. Hawkinson as rookies. It's like, oh, like these guys are some of the best prospects we've ever seen. They're freak athletes. They're, you know, high draft capital. They went to teams that are probably likely to use them, and then they just didn't get any of those things. And, and like they're fine. Like Noah Fant has been a top twelve tight end twice, I think, maybe only once. TJ Hawkinson was like a top five tight end once already. And nobody cares because he only scored like 12 points. But that's because tight ends don't score a lot of points. And then you have these like out of nowhere guys like Travis, like Travis Kelsey, to be fair, was like a third round pick. And I think he like tore his ACL as a rookie or something crazy like that. And didn't really do anything until I think it was his third year, I think, in the NFL when he really kind of popped. And then when he popped, it was like amazing. And you have like Darren Waller, who didn't do anything for like 10 years. Okay, that's a bit excessive. I don't know how many years it was. A lot of years. George Kittle was like kind of one of the more common pass. And he was like a fifth round pick. Like, I don't know if you were playing Dynasty in George Kittle's rookie year, but I remember like kind of being into him. And then in the summer, they had another tight end called, what was his name? Vance McDonald, I believe. And Vance McDonald was set to be the starting tight end for the San Francisco 49ers. And then on, like, the eve of the season, they traded him to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And George Kittle, like, this fifth-round unknown pick just, like, moves into the starting lineup, puts up, like, 500 yards as a rookie, which is really impressive. And the, the rest is history. And uh, it's I just- think I want to, like, cut in there before we get to another topic because that's always been, like, something I've tried to push back on. Like, people look at – Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and Darren Waller is these guys who came out of nowhere, right? Like you couldn't see them coming. But when I chart these players, you could see these players coming, like for the most part, 
these players look good. It's green in their profiles. Like, let's talk about Travis Kelsey. Like, first of all, we got to talk about the profiles. All right, before we let's get to talk about the profiles, good, good yeah. place to start. Before we get to Travis Kelsey's profile and George Kittle's profile and Darren Waller's profile, we got to talk about the profile. Like, we're looking at basically everything that is predictive. Obviously, draft capital number one. Um, I know you've written a thread on that. I've got the numbers if we need to pull them up. Um, Actually, let's, but before we can get to the draft cap, I'm going to go in order of my list. So first you start with the basics, height and weight. Like we just want to know what are they shaped like? Like is this guy an outlier shape? Are they someone who – do you see a lot of people perform at a high level like this shape? Basically, are they above 6'7", six, 6'8"? Six, because you don't see a lot of guys like that. Are they below 220 pounds? Like – these are things you don't see a lot at the tight end position of uh, players performing at a high level at extremes. So we just want to look at that, see if there's any red flags there. And then we look at, obviously, the draft capital. Um, have it, It's a thread written by you, and I remember it because I put it in my Kyle Pitts thread <laughs> because everybody was like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that Kyle Pitts was drafted high. Like, a tight end's unpredictable. And basically, you're like, that's not why I don't like Kyle Pitts. Like, I <laughs> I like draft capital a lot. And I'm these pretty, are pretty certain I know exactly which thread you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So you just go through the numbers, and you're looking at the hit rates for I think it's like a top twelve finish, right? So yeah. you start. We got at round seven, it's zero for twenty six, zero percent. Round six, four for twenty three, seventeen percent. Round five, four for twenty five, sixteen percent. Round four, seven for 32, 21%. Round three, 10 for 35, 28%. Round two, 12, 28, 42%. That's pretty damn good. Round one, 15, 16, 93%. So, like, those guys are hitting a top 12. So, like, automatic pretty much round one. Oh, yeah. So, draft capital is something huge that matters. And then people want to hold this against Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller, without even dissecting why they didn't have – why do these guys not have draft capital? First of all, Travis Kelsey was drafted with the first pick in the third round. He's one pick away from being a second-round pick. This guy, this is a guy who was suspended his entire uh, sophomore, his sophomore entire season at Cincinnati. He was suspended. All right. Then he goes to the combine. He's out with misses the combine with a, like a hernia injury. So we have character concerns, injury concerns. This guy. Still drafted with the first pick in the third round. He would be in a first or second round pick if you throw those out. He had a 27% dominator at Cincinnati. That's green. Uh, the, anything above 20% is good. 25, that's really good. He was at 16 yards per reception. He, he has a 79 percentile catch radius. This is like green across the board. And I, I, he might have run a 40. I have like a 4.61 with an asterisk. It might have been at a pro day. Uh, but still... 461 adjusted 466. That's not a bad time. Like he doesn't have any red flags for Travis Kelsey. Like it's not surprising at all that Travis Kelsey turned into a really good player, especially when you talk about uh what he did in his first uh actual season. And we saw like him be efficient, have him uh have good volume. So after that first season, looking at the profile, you should have been all in on Travis Kelsey. Like that was predictable. Number one. Darren Waller. I encourage anybody who wants to know why Darren Waller fell to the sixth round to go watch the Darren Waller story on YouTube because this guy had known drug issues. 
John Harbaugh himself is interviewed for this, and he says it. Uh, they were talking about this guy. Why is this guy not a first or second round pick? Oh, he's got off the field issues. He's got, you know, these other stuff going on. They knew, these teams knew Darren Waller had issues. And that's why he was not relative uh, or doing anything at first. He was suspended. He was on drugs. Watch the Darren Waller show. He was heavily on drugs. Uh, but you look at his profile, Darren Waller uh, had a 32% dominator. That's green, green. That's I have two greens. I have light green, which is good. And then I have like above 30. That's green, green. And he was getting wide receiver usage uh, when he was at this Georgia Tech offense. 4, 4, 6, 30, 40, 37 and a half, 37 inch vertical. He had a 17 yards per reception in college. Like a uh, 96 percentile catchers. Everything on paper is green, green for this dude, except for draft capital. When we know that he, he was had a drug issues. So don't tell me Darren Waller came out of Norcus. You can see it right on paper. You saw him coming. I need water because I'm just so. So I, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you a story about Darren Waller. It was, uh, I think it was 2016 when I discovered a website called PlayerProfiler.com, and uh, Matt Kelly used to have a program called the Concierge Service. And you could sign up. If, I forget it was maybe 50 bucks or 100 bucks a year or something, and then you could like ask him questions. That was the whole point of the Concierge Service. So me as a new finder of this. Not knowing anything about analytics, I'm just like playing with their uh, what is it called data analysis tool? I think that's what it's called. And you can just like pull different stats and whatever, and like filter, and like it's great. And I started pulling some stats, and I was like, "Holy smokes! Like, who's this Darren Waller guy?" And I like get on my email. I, sh I should pull it up. I get on my email and I'm like, "Hey, Matt, I'm a new subscriber. Uh, I was just playing with the data data analysis and." I'm just curious. I can't find you talking with Darren Waller anywhere. Like, do, do you not like him? I, I just, he does all the things that I thought you would like. <coughs> and he's like, no, he's got a great profile. But you, I think at the combine, he was only like 220 pounds or something. He's very light and he's gained a lot of weight since then to become a tight end. He was a wide receiver, I think, in college, wasn't he? Yeah. And uh, so anyway, he kind of like extinguished my flame. And then Waller like did nothing with the Ravens and then ended up in in uh oakland and i like years later it finally worked out but i was like man like that's so cool to be like going back and be like oh man like what is going on here look at look at his college dominator look at his look at his breakout age, or his breakout age wasn't that good but look has, at his spark <laughs> he does though he has a great profile except for the fact that he was uh, a sixth round pick late declare like that's the only thing you have against the guy but yeah. other than that and it's basically George Kittle as well. Like he ran a four, five, two, 40, 38 and a half inch vertical. He was a great athlete, 23% dominator. That's good. 14.3 yards perception, 95th percentile catch radius. It's all green for this dude. And he had injuries in college. He had missed four games as a junior. His senior year was derailed by planter. You say it. <laughs> he had injuries, fifth round pick. All right. What if he wasn't injured? Like we're talking fourth, like it's, maybe third round. That's not terrible. Um, so you look at basically the guys who are at the top of the dynasty landscape right now, and I'm just go by my rankings, but it's a pretty clear cutoff. Like once you get to Greg Dulcich, I think, um, but we got Andrews, Pitts, Kelsey, Goddard, Njoku, Hawkinson, Kittle, uh, Friar Muth, Dulcich. These guys are all first, second, third round picks, except for George Kittle, who was a fifth round pick out of that whole group. 
So draft capital is one thing we're definitely looking at. Um, early declare, I don't think we we're going to hold it against the guys who don't have it, but it is a bonus, obviously, if we have early declare. Um, so we're tracking that as well. I have the stats. Um, this is from Sharp Football Analysis. This was written by Rich Rebar. I, mean, I hope I'm saying that right. It's the first time I've said that in March 2020. So it's a couple of years old, um, but the stats pretty much going to say the same thing. So past 10 years, they had 146 tight ends who were drafted. Uh, 28% of them hit tight end two status. And when you break it down, though, between early declare and non-early declare, we have 36% for the early declare, 24% for the non-early early declare. Once you move to tight end one, we have uh, a total percentage of the 146 drafted was 15% hit a tight end one uh, finish. Break it down, and we had 20% for the early declares, 12.75 for the non-early declares. Then you go to top six, we had 9.5% total. You break it down, and we had 15% for the early declare, six for the non-early declare. So that's just another something we want to check, just so we can have like the holistic viewpoint. It's not really something that we will hold against them. I have it, yes is marked as green, no is marked as yellow. So it's not a negative but it is a positive if they're an early, early declare. Um, and then also just looking at like 40 vertical, uh, like I said, the yards per reception, we want to see if they can be like efficient. Um, but yeah, basically all the guys in the top nine are first, second, third round picks. Um, they all have dominators above 23%. Andrews, Pitts, Kelsey, Goddard, Njoku, Hawkinson, Kittle, Muth, Dolchich, Every single one of them, except for Mark Andrews, who is 18%, which is yellow, but he also played with Hollywood Brown and CeeDee Lamb. So it's like, all right, you are at 18%, not 20-something percent dominator. We forgive him. He still had 15.5 yards per reception, like 4, 6, 7, 40 is, is light green. It's not spectacular, but it's not bad. Um, so a lot of this stuff is like the players at the top are showing up green. So it – Tight end is a predictable position, uh, especially once you're looking at factors like that. And then especially once we get past the profile status, like, cause that's just about half of it. And then the chart, the other half of my chart is the first four years of their NFL production, which right now all I have is points per game. Um, but we're obviously looking at things like their efficiency, uh, their targets per uh, route run, their yards per route run. Um, just looking at, how much targets they're getting. Uh, obviously, well, that's a huge data point. What kind of targets are they getting? Are they uh, deep A dot? Are they low A dot? So basically, like, where are those going to translate to? Or, you know, less yards, obviously less points. Um, so we want efficient guys who are getting targets at the NFL level. And then obviously, we want to target the ones who came in with good profiles and are, are green because those are the guys who are sitting at the top of the dynasty landscape right now. Beyond that, is there anything else that you look at when you're prospecting uh, tight ends, or is that pretty much the gist of it? What about what about athleticism? You must like athleticism. Yeah, so we want to look at raw 40 speed. We want to look at um, vertical again just to see if they're explosive. And then a lot of that is double-checking it. Like, does it show up on the stat sheet? Like, this player's an athlete on paper, but what it, did it show up in his stats? Like, if you run a decent 40 – and you have a low yards per reception, that's a lot more concerning than if you run a decent 40 and on stats you had high yards per reception. 
Um, yeah. So we want to see like how it translates um, and just kind of like cross right again. That's why we have the kind of holistic view. You can just kind of counterbalance those things a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I use, um, I use ra like a uh, relative athletic score in my process. And like the guys that like smash the not not like good like smash the relative athletic score, uh, do they outperform the rest of their profiles? What I found, um, and by that I don't like. We we've been talking quite a bit about uh, Greg Dolchich Dolchich on the podcast lately because he's pretty good, and I didn't really love his RAS score. Jacob brought it up, kind of blindsided me by it. It's better than I thought it was. I was like, I forget what he was, 8.5 or something. But then I went back and looked, and I was like, oh, actually, this 8.5 really isn't all that impressive. That's like 40th percentile of all the tight ends drafted rounds one through seven. So then what, what I look at is like re like really like close to 10. Like you need to be elite. And then when you have the elite athleticism, I find that that kind of – propels players to be a little bit better than their profile would otherwise suggest based on my processes, which is a little different, but uh, yeah, anyway, the super elite tight end. So th I, this isn't on the show sheet, but Jake and I have been going back and forth. Well, before we uh, get to that, can I talk on Dolchich real quick? That's what I'm going on. So okay, go ahead. Continue. we've been talking about this quite a bit lately. The last, well, last week, cause uh, Jelani Woods, Jelani Jelani Woods had a huge game. Dolchich hadn't done anything. Now Dolchich goes out and has a huge game. Jelani Jelani Woods does nothing. You are firmly on the Jelani Jelani Woods side. Is that correct? Of the Dolchich debate? Yeah. No, you you have my rankings, bro. Like I pinned <laughs> the rankings. My rankings. I was hoping I could trick you into just nodding along. No. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. So Absolutely. how how high is Dolchich? Is he like no tight end? What five six? Where are you at with him in dynasty right now? I have him right next to like the Kittle and Fryermuth. Like he's right there. Arguably, I think arguably ahead of them. Like you can make an argument uh, based on what he's doing in his first season. He and this is why I want to talk about the cross referencing. Like we talk about. Uh, 40 use RAS, like the 40 I want below 4.7 for the most part. Like that's where you see like the good players, like they're not slower than 4.7. And the guys who are like kind of average, like the TJ Hawkinson, like they, they're towing the line. Dolchich is towing that line. Like Andrews is 4.67, Dolchich is 4.69. But how did it translate? He had 18.6 yards per reception. Uh, in college for his his best season that is a fantastic that is green green that's a fantastic figure so he was fast enough he's below four seven and he's being used like he's a fast guy as a deep threat um so the speed wasn't a negative and he has that deep and that's translated immediately like he has an a dot beyond 10 yards down the field that is deep uh, he's commanding a, a significant amount of targets that Jelani Woods, uh, frankly, can't sniff. Uh, I'm sorry, Jelani <laughs> Woods ran a four six one. He had a, a great dominator as well. It was in his last season, um, but he was a third, like. There's nothing that much better about his profile to ignore the NFL production, which is the most important data points we have uh, for these players, especially rookies. When we see a guy like Greg Dolchich, I mean, you need to be buying into a guy who is doing th the things he's doing as a rookie tight end. His, I would say his medium range is like 
pretty close to Dallas Goddard, and his ceiling is like Mark Andrews. Like, this guy could be really good, and he's at least, I would say, above average is his floor. Like, uh, you have to be buying to him, into him in this Denver Bronco uh, shithole that it is. I don't know if you're going to have to edit that. I don't know what the swear, swear uh, rules are, but this is the time to buy him. Like, while the price is somewhat at least somewhat deflated probably not after this game after he just you know led the team in targets wait for another lull because there will likely be one um but like this year before the price gets out of control because he could he could be a very very good player yeah no i i am also very much into the greg dolchich at this point um i think you're absolutely bang like the average target distance is incredible for especially for like a tight end like it's it's magical he's already got a 14.9 percent target share we're only entering the second half of his season because he's only played six games he missed the first four or five i think uh so we're probably should be expecting him to trend upward at this point which is pretty frigging exciting the the fly in the ointment is probably russell wilson and the broncos offense which has been a little bit subpar thus far but yeah like i'm at this point i'm probably putting dolchich somewhere around like tight end five in dynasty if i were doing traditional linear rankings which is pretty wild to think about because he's like i know especially it's like somewhat painful for me because i was so in on albert oh like he he was someone who i i still believe is a good receiver he showed a lot in his first two seasons from an efficiency standpoint uh when he was on the field commanding targets um and i was just a, a believer that he was going to get the chance first um but dolchich man like there's a reason they went and got him in the third round he's a really good player yeah, yeah. And, oh, yes, yeah, a stat I just remembered what we're talking about. One of the patrons brought a shout-out, Deep Plow. I don't know how to say your last name. Um, but he was looking at the yardage per game. Um, and I believe Dolchich is, is like, second or, or third in yards, yardage per game, like, uh, ahead of guys for, for rookies. For rookies. Oh, rookies. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, sense. He's played, like, seven or eight games. Like, we're talking, like, ahead of, like, the Burks and the other guys. Uh, he's <laughs> He's doing great for a tight end. Oh yeah, yeah no for sure. There's a there is a lot to like about Greg Dolchich at this point in time. Um, okay, so is Greg Dolchich an actual contender with Kyle Pitts for best tight end of the generation? Best hair of the generation, no freaking doubt. <laughs> and mustache, the mustache is special. The combo, it's it's just glorious there's nothing wrong about this guy's like i don't have any red in his profile either we have yellow because third round draft pick is like all right it's not amazing like he's not an early declare but other than that it's green there's no there's not a single red flag on this guy yeah so kyle pitts unquestioned dynasty tight end one though right like we're not we're not moving off that just because of the injury in a down year with Marcus Mariota and Arthur Smith returning to 1950s football. Would you trade Mark Andrews for Kyle Pitts straight up in any single league? Today, maybe not because I want to. How could it be? Now. How could he be the dynasty tight end one? Because if you ask me that again on 
Tuesday morning after the championships, I might change my mind. You really think coming into this year, like my thing is with Andrews, he's going to be, he's 27 right now. He is already basically sniffing like the Travis Kelsey type production. And he's taking a step back a little bit. He was there earlier in the year, had a knee and shoulder injury, hasn't scored a touchdown since week six. That's due to correct a little bit. But he's basically going to be that guy for the next four-plus seasons, five-plus seasons. <clears throat> and I would expect you to continue be able to trade him for Kyle Pitts plus, like, for the next two-plus seasons, like, maybe three-plus seasons. So See, I, I would say they're in the same tier. I don't think it's like, oh, if you take Kyle Pitts over Mark Andrews, you're making the wrong choice. Uh, it's definitely more of, like, the long-term outlook. But I don't think – there's like a case, a real case against Mark Andrews as a dynasty tight end one right now. I think the biggest concern for me with Mark Andrews as dynasty tight end one is that he's quite a bit older. He's what, six years older, five years older, uh, which is one thing, but it's like, he's still got a few years left. So it's not really a concern. Per but se. when, when, when will the dynasty community start to actually care about his age? It's not going to be for another four plus seasons. When the production stops. <laughs> yeah. But at but this rate, there, there is that factor. Like, there, like you can't just say no age is not a factor. Age is a factor. It's just not a huge factor. But that is probably the first point to to look at. The second point to look at, I think, is that while we think that Lamar Jackson is an adequate passer, or at least I do, I also don't think that he's going to be a league best passer. And we're probably never going to see high end volume out of a Lamar Jackson offense on purpose. Uh, it may happen due to you know. The defense implodes or whatever, and they have to score a bunch of points. It's possible, but I think we're kind of looking at mid-range pass volume as a team going forward. And then, which is funny to say that's a a knock on (laughs) the Falcons literally don't pass. But I think where I'm coming from with this is that probably nothing's going to change for the Ravens. Something's absolutely going to change for the Falcons. If they keep doing this, the team is going to fire everyone and we're going to start over scorched earth and we may get an offensive whiz in there that wants to run an up-tempo offense. But the thing is, you're you're locking in Mark Andrews to the Ravens offense when you're doing that projection, right? And you're also, when you're doing that, you're also locking him in to leading tight ends and target share on an annual basis with Lamar Jackson. Uh, So you're really just riding that are they going to get close enough to like even league average and passing volume, which I think we were seeing that with Rashad Bateman. It's not that they don't want to be close to league average. It's not that Lamar Jackson can't do it. It's that they're freaking trotting out Devin Duvernay and whoever that DeMarcus Robbins to give me a freaking break, dude. Like I'm not concerned that they're going to, the way forward is to develop this passing offense to at least be league average. Like you don't want to be overly dependent on the run. They brought in Rashad Bateman for a reason. Like they want to at least be, I would say, pass happier than they're being forced to be right now. And Andrews, yeah. even in this like batter iteration of it, is still at like 14 and a half points per game, dealing with the injuries. So I'm not like concerned with locking him into this Ravens offense and just saying, oh, hey, you play with Lamar Jackson, a quarterback who's going to make you uh, the league leader in target share on an annual basis, especially when I believe Lamar Jackson is a capable passer. And is going to demand that they their offense evolves into like the most explosive version of an offense 
is one that passes the football in the NFL. And the Ravens are not completely blind to that fact. I don't, at least I don't think. I'm a Ravens fan, so I have my biases. But they're a pretty well-run franchise. They're they're open to analytics. Like they know that developing a balanced offense is beneficial to Lamar. And I don't believe they want to stay in Stone Age like rushing attempts forever. No, and I believe, especially to protect him. Is if they, if they pay Lamar, please pay Lamar. <laughs> if they don't pay Lamar, then I will cry until will, I'll quit. Everyone in the building <laughs> should be fired on the spot if Lamar Jackson is not the quarterback every year for the next decade. I don't but see. Him. I don't see. Where, where I'm going with all this is simply that with Mark Andrews, we do have somewhat of a limited ceiling because we're unlikely to never see like Josh Allen level volume. Like that's just not in the cards. With Kyle Pitts, we're unlikely to see Josh Allen level volume either at least in the near term. But in the long term, anything is possible. And I think that like allure of the unknown is uh, giving me a little bit of Kyle Pitts. But I also think you need to play this game even when you're playing it with a long-term outlook. You have to understand we're not playing it that far. We have to go through each phase of it. And unless Atlanta gets a quarterback next year, this upcoming year, a real fix you're going to be able to both profit with Mark Andrews points and then sell him for Kyle Pitts plus at some point. Like you can get the best of both worlds without saying, Oh, two years down from because you already made the move to Kyle Pitts in a year from now while still having that window with Mark Andrews. So I don't sure. think even, even if you're saying, all right, eventually or do we believe that's going to happen next year? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to have a draft pick high enough to get one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. I just don't know what's going to be at quarterback for Atlanta next year. You know what? You, you've talked me out of it. I'm no longer taking Kyle Pitts on the Tuesday after the championship. I'm waiting until the dominoes are in place because I don't think he's going to get all that much more expensive. I think I think there's probably quite a bit more value in Mark Andrews right now anyway, so it's a bit of a moot point. Uh, but I think you're right. Not only do we need an actual quarterback, we need an actual quarterback that's not going to be a rookie, which is probably what's going to happen next year. They'll probably try to draft a rookie quarterback that's – they're probably not going to pick early enough to get a good one, which could be on this like vicious cycle of like the Carolina Panthers right now. Like we could be in that kind of state with the Atlanta Falcons. Don't you forward. speak that? Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we also have to get rid of Arthur Smith. Like it's 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 multifactorial that's holding back Kyle Pitts from being a true superstar. And we have Drake London sharing the ball now and drake london could simply be as good or better than kyle pitts you talked me completely off the kyle pitts i'm moving him down to tight end 17 and uh we're going <laughs> forward with that <laughs> just don't trade him for njoku straight up i saw one of the patrons got that i was about like they traded it's kyle a time somebody no somebody got kyle pitts for njoku straight up like this is oh that's time amazing. to buy i wouldn't buy him with mark andrew straight up but it's absolutely a great time to be buying Kyle Pitts just because they're very panicky owners right now. Yeah, great, great job to whomever got Kyle Pitts for David Njoku. Uh, God bless you. He got the uh, offer sent to him, so he didn't do anything. No, he just, <laughs> he just hit accept. Enough to hit accept before waiting for the other person to panic and remove it. Love it. I guess that counts for something. <laughs> Okay, so really quickly, because you are the tight end guy, I want to talk a little bit about Debbie tight ends, which we don't talk a lot about on the podcast. However, you are the tight end guy. Is Michael Mayer the tight end one in this class? And if so, where does he rank among like the last few classes? Like, Is he a better prospect than guys like Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Evan Ingram, David Njoku, 
He, I'm assuming he's nowhere near Kyle Pitts, as far as I can tell. Anyway, what do you think? Well, I would say he's he's definitely the tight end one because I've struggled to like name more tight ends this because it's early in the process for me. I don't play Debbie. Like I follow the chart because the chart has, does a pretty good job. So I wait just, a second. You don't play Debbie at all? No Debbie. Um, I do a lot of my rookie research like as they go into the draft season, like I find out a lot about them, you know, obviously draft capital is going to be a huge part of the equation, but especially like we talk about the tight ends. Like I want to know where <laughs> Myers drafted. I'm going to assume first or second round. Um, we get to the basics, the height, weight, like he's fine there. Uh, sports reference has him at 6'4", 249, which we just want to make sure he doesn't balloon to like 260, 265. And if he's running like below four, seven, those would be concerns. Uh, if he does any of that, but as far as like college production, uh, player profiler right now has him charted uh, for his junior season, twenty five percent dominator. That's that's just good enough for that's that's good, really good. Um, even if we don't get a better senior no, or excuse me, junior number, uh, his that was his sophomore season. Excuse me, that they charted not his junior. Um, yeah. So he'll be an early declare as well, which is good. Um, I'm assuming his dominator will be a little higher in his third year, his junior than the one they have charted here. So if it's like above 30, that will be really good. So I would say he's definitely going to be uh, like a Hawkins in Fairmouth at the very least. His college yards per reception is not great. Um, it's only at 12.1. He's been at 10.7, 11.8, which is really low in the checklist, like out of the top nine guys uh nobody's below 13 8 in college we, ha we have pat firing with that 13 8 but everybody else dolch 18 kittle 14 3 hawkinson 15 joku 16 goddard 14 7 kelsey 16 pitts 15 andrews 15 5 so that's like a really low number for mayor which is kind of a concern um especially if he doesn't run a fast 40 time because then again we have wouldn't be a great athlete and it doesn't show up on paper like despite the limits um so i will i kind of want like a, a at least like a mid four six time if i'm going to be like thrilled about his upside but the production is he produced regardless of those limits so we have to give uh just the dominator like credit especially if he's a first round pick early declare with like say a 30 percent dominator like i'm not gonna be too upset about if his uh 40 and yard because he just gets a ton of volume um, have, you, have you ever seen him like have you like i've watched a little bit like i've i've seen him play um he but looks, I, I haven't scouted him he looks enormous he's a like, little clunky like enormous but he, i'm a big film grinder you probably didn't know this about me but on saturdays like i'm in front of the tv with my notepad mm -hmm. out making notes like michael meyer looks enormous i actually don't know how to say his last name is it mayor or meyer who knows Jelani Jelani, it doesn't matter. What he is a threat after the catch, though. Like, he is hungry after the catch. He <laughs> is not somebody I would be trying to tackle in the open field. I'll tell you that much. You um, want to know something wild about the Michael Meyer profile right now? He led the team with 809 receiving yards this year. Do you want to know who second on the team was? Or how many yards second on the team had? 340. <sighs> So his dominator is probably going to be above 30% then, huh? He's going to have a monster one. Yeah, and he's also scored nine touchdowns receiving, and I think they only had like 
she's what did they have maybe 20 like he probably scored half their touchdowns yeah so i would he, say he, he's, he's got exciting. a very high floor the, the floor is like worst case you're getting like tj hawkinson I was going to say, I feel like he's like a Pat Freyermuth, uh, TJ Hawkinson, like mold where we're going to be fine with him, but I don't know that he's ever going to win your league for you. Yeah, I don't I don't think – I would say the ceiling is limited in that way. Unless he ends up as a number – you have to be efficient. At a certain point, you have to be somewhat efficient. Otherwise, you need to Zacherts away to like 110 receptions to get to like 1,000 yards. And – that's just the reality of it. Like if you can't average a decent enough yards per reception and you're not athletic enough to like be efficient, you're, you're not going to ever be that guy. Um, but at tight end, I mean, there's value in just having a, a Pat Fryer with our TJ Hawkins and just because of how ugly the, the position can be. So I got one more question for you regarding rookie or Debbie tight ends. And this is not on the show sheet. So you're completely unprepared. I have this um, strange infatuation with this player. I, I've liked him since he came into the NFL or into college football because he's a, I believe he's a five-star recruit, but I think he might've been a five-star recruit O-lineman. His name is Darnell Washington. Have you heard of him? Uh, yes. It, he's not going to show up well in your profile at all. There's going to be a lot of red. So why do you like him? Because he's a freak. <laughs> That's it? He's doing well. Like he's doing fine at Georgia with Brock Bowers, who is like a completely better prospect. But Darnell Washington, I think it's going to be really cheap in rookie drafts. He was, he's always been really cheap in Debbie because he's never really done anything despite being this like super freak uh, college uh, recruit. And uh, he's just like, again, film grinder extraordinaire myself, of course, seeing the clips on YouTube of people unable to tackle him because he's 6'7", 265 pounds. It's just a lot of fun. I'm hoping that he's going to Are like you this. trolling me? You're definitely not a Darnell Washington fan. You're trying to get me to make a case again. No, man. I, I, <laughs> I like Darnell Washington because he's been free and Debbie for years. That's the only reason I like him. But, uh, <laughs> because I, I'll tell you, we talked about before like what people have against the tight end position, like about draft capital, right? Because they throw Travis Kelsey – Kittle and Waller out there. Oh, these guys are not drafted high. Blah, blah, blah. The guys who were Evan Ingram and OJ Howard freaking killed me. Nothing's predictable about tight end, right? That's what it basically boils down. It's the simplified version of tight ends who everybody who's ever been hurt and doesn't want to accept that maybe there's some predictability to the position. Um, because OJ Howard, like, he's not somebody who profiles good. Like, we had a Four, what did he run? Let me look him up. He's way, he's in the extras now because he's he's not even in my top 40. Four, five, one, 40. All right, first round pick. Those are good data points. Like, it's such we talked about earlier. Like, he was basically guaranteed a top 12 season, which I believe he did hit. But 15% dominator in college, that's, that's not good. He was not productive in college, and he was a late declare. Uh, he was outproduced by guys who were fringe practice squad talents in the NFL. Like I'm trying to remember that Deandre white or something was his name. I mean, he was not involved in college at any point. He got ran a four, five, one and he got drafted in the first round, but there were red flags across the board. Like, all right, he's not an early declare. He was never in, in any one, one seat. We're just asking for one season. I'm charting dominator, not a full, full careers worth. 
This is a single season high. Like, and he couldn't get above 15% at any point. That Darnell Washington, I mean, I don't know what he's going to be at this year, but they so have good. they have the, the previous year. He's at 6.9%, man. I have very, 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 very few people below 10%. We're getting into the Tommy Trembles of the world, Blake Jarwin, uh, Dawson Knox, like, Dawson, Dalton Schultz was at 11%. Like, he's the highest guy I have with, like, a, a semi-red dominator, like, below yeah, that's That's Darnell Washington. You nailed it. That's who Darnell Washington's going to be. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, you were trolling me. You hate Darnell Washington. <laughs> I love Darnell Washington. As long as he's available in the fourth round of my rookie draft. Yeah. Um, in the fourth, that's the kind of guy where you might be able to just flip him for a three, like just based on from when you buy him. Like that's a harmless uh, dart throw. I think tight ends are, are pretty easy bets in the fourth round to like turn into third round. Like you drafted Daniel Bellinger. What has he done? Like he had a touchdown, a couple of receptions. He's immediately worth like a three, even before he did like the extra, the five target games. Like after the first two games, he's immediately worth a three. So like the bar, like for a fourth round tight end, to now we all pay a three. It's, it's very low. Chigakonkwo, like, you can get multiple threes for Chigakonkwo now, and you he, he drafted him in the fourth round. Um, so I think the hype from fourth like, it's so low the bar for a rookie tight end. We want to just see this guy make one play that may ends up on red zone. And we're like, all right, now he's worth three. Like, Oh, for sure. So I don't mind spending fourth round picks. It's basically that or a running back, a uh, backup running back. I would go running backs first. But that's all I think he's probably going to be to me. Um He's going to have to get drafted really, really high. Um, He'll probably be yeah. like a third-round pick. He may not even declare this year. Who knows? He should, though, because Brock Bowers is going to eat his lunch again next year. So he should get out of there. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement on Darnell Washington. Yeah, he's great. Everyone should buy him. <laughs> are you uh, doing this podcast specifically for your like league mates? Or are you just everybody <laughs> in your league? <laughs> No, there's there's just not a lot of tight ends in this class is really what it comes down to. It's, yeah, like it's hard to – like a lot of it for me is like I can tell – like the early breakups, like if you heard of a guy three years ago, it's probably a good thing, right? Like if I haven't even heard of any of these other tight ends by now, it's not, it's not <laughs> a great thing for the depth. No, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so Michael Meyer, undisputed, indisputed, tight end one in the class – Darnell Washington, Darnell Washington, yeah, Darnell Washington, indisputed tight end two in the class, hoping to get him in the fourth round, and uh, and that's where we're at. Yeah, pretty much. So now I got, I got a much tougher question for you. Now this one revolves around a player that I've had marked as a sell for the entire offseason, basically, as far as I can recall. He is a very popular quarterback. This is a quarterback, so we're going completely out of your element to your other element, the quarterbacking room. And this gentleman is a perennial 23 points per game player, if I recall correctly. Uh, but he has been, I would consider it kind of fluky 23 points per game, or is he 22? 22, 23 points per game player throughout his career. 22.9, 23.3 is his first two seasons. He's a third-year player. His name is other than Justin Herbert. He's wildly talented. But I've been marking him as a sell for like the whole, whole offseason season. Or at least half the offseason. I don't remember when I moved him to a sell. It's been a while. Are you buying or selling Justin Herbert? I believe he's currently valued on Fantasy Calc at QB3. I think this is a much simpler conversation than uh, 
some people would make it out to be, at least for me, because there is like a, a foundational asset tier of quarterbacks. Where hold on, hold on. I, I lied to you. He's QB six. Are you buying or selling a QB six? It doesn't really matter which is the four, the three, the six, whatever. He's in that tier with uh, basically there's only a certain amount of people I would trade him for. Like if you can flip Justin Herbert for Jalen Hurts in, in a two or a two, three swap, Lamar Jackson in two, two, three swap, Kyler Murray, in two, or like a one, two swap. You can go after like a really hated on guy like Kyler Murray in a one, two swap, like maybe uh, Deshaun Watson for someone who's making a playoff push, like in a one, two swap, Justin Fields. Like if you want to buy into that, like uh, you're fully bought in, which I think we pretty much should be at this point. Um, if you want to go to Fields in a one-two swap, maybe Dak Prescott in like a, a one uh, or a one and a two, you can probably even get more. Yeah, but you, you don't sell foundational quarterbacks, and I wouldn't even include Tua and Lawrence in that conversation. Like I don't really want to no, sell Herbert for either of those right. guys. But like unless I'm getting one of these QBs, it it's just no, you're not selling. You're not selling Justin Herbert for for anything that's not another elite foundational quarterback and a, and a convincing plus. Um, but I what do about, think he's he's valued at the top of that tier. I think the same goes for Josh Allen. Like if I can sell Josh Allen for Lamar in a one, Lamar in a one-two swap even in 2024, like I, I'll take Lamar in that in that one. Um, I think even Mahomes, like you could get a lot uh, pivoting, but I would pr- try to probably not pivot from like Mahomes to Fields or Dak. Probably keep it in like the Kyler, Lamar, Hurts. But I think when you can flip one of those for another and get like a convincing plus you're still building a team around Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes or Kyler Murray versus Justin Herbert. So here's my question for you. Well, this, this isn't really a question so much as, as – so I, I, do, I do rankings that aren't actually rankings, right? Like I do clusters. So I take the players that I expect to perform at a certain level and I, I cluster them all together. And would it shock you to know that I do not have Justin Herbert in Tier 1 of quarterbacks in terms of projectable fantasy points? Yeah, it would shock me. Here, here's who's in that tier. It's Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson. Notably not in that tier is Justin Herbert. You think that's a mistake? You're going to make me look up my own tweets. You think that's a mistake? I know it's a mistake oh, uh, because you're just upset that Justin Herbert has had uh, Keenan Allen injured, Mike Williams injured, uh, Gerald Everett even injured, like everybody injured. Uh you put le- a couple more legitimate weapons again around this guy, he's going to be right back to where he was. And this is this might seem like a random deadline, but this is just, I remember tweeting it, and it, it was at the time. This was through 29 career starts when Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert were razor thin. Through 29 career starts, Patrick Mahomes, 681 fantasy points. Justin Herbert, 672 fantasy points. 29 stars, that's a big sample of Justin Herbert starting his career like a just phenom on the level of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and then all of a sudden, well, he's dealt with a a shit ton of uh, injuries. He doesn't have great support this year. Uh, If I can sell Josh Allen for Justin Herbert plus, for someone who doesn't believe they're in the same tier, I would be doing that. Justin Herbert in in two. I'll take a 2023 two to go from Allen to Herbert. I'm not that concerned uh, at all about Justin Herbert in any way, shape, or form. You know, I, I think uh, I think I may have misled you slightly because I feel like you're focusing in on his passing work, which is fair. The concern for me with Justin Herbert is that he doesn't run the ball. He only averages 11 yards a game rushing. Even Patrick Mahomes 
has 24, 25 yards a game rushing, it's an extra point and a half. That's the difference between the elite quarterbacks and the merely exceptionally good ones. It's all about the rushing production, and Justin Herbert just doesn't do it. I'm sorry. I Luckily, mean, I just, though, in the prior two years when Justin Herbert was lighting the world on fire at a Patrick Mahomes-esque level, they were passing the ball at the rate of pretty much the highest rate of anyone. He was averaging like almost 40 attempts per game for his first two years. I would bet, and this was my argument coming into the season, at some point that volume is going to get scaled back and he doesn't have the rushing production to offset the lack of offensive uh, volume. And I'm sorry that I'm not sorry, but Keenan Allen is really good and he's been missing. Mike Williams is like a pretty good wide receiver too and he's been missing and instead of throwing it down the field to those guys he's been checking down to Austin Eckler which is fine but it's not the same thing so he's performing okay. right now but I don't think he's in the same category but he has the skills and we're also going on a timeline right like you're saying Patrick Mahomes is running for 23 points per game Patrick Mahomes first uh three seasons 10 yards 17 15 per game then he got to 20 22 now he's at 23 Justin Herbert is by all means, uh, when you watch the film, a much more capable rusher than Patrick Mahomes. He showed it as a, as, a, as a rookie. Uh, let's look at the yards per game. It was much higher than it was this year. Uh, let's see. He was at 15 yards per game, 17 yards per game his first two years. Those are both higher than Mahomes' his first two years. This year obviously took a dip. Um, there, ha- there haven't been any weapons, really. Like He just hasn't had help. Um, He's hurt, you, too, you, you could argue You could argue should be more. Yeah, he did have an injury as well. So I think Justin Herbert's rushing, that's not the point I would use against him, especially if we're going to say, oh, Patrick Mahomes is the better rusher. Gonna, I don't know that it, next year Patrick Mahomes is going to have better rushing statistics yeah. than Justin Herbert. In so fact, I would, bet, I would bet against it. There's not so much Mahomes is a better rusher than Herbert. Mahomes is a freak alien yeah. quarterback, and Herbert is merely probably like the number two quarterback. And there's a gap there that he doesn't make up for somewhere else. All the other guys rush the football. They're all going to score 22 points a game. Justin Herbert's probably going to be lucky to score 22 like, points a game. But what, is that, like, what does that actually equate to in like actionable moves? Like, If, if you're a contender and, you, and you're loaded and you got a bunch of extra twos and you want to play, pay Herbert plus two for Mahomes, sure, I get it. But most of the time, if I'm not a loaded team, I'll probably just keep it Herbert in my two. Like I'm not – well, I wouldn't go buy Mahomes. Out. Mahomes well, isn't a buy. He's valued at like the top of the world. You can't well, then what are you doing with him? Who are you selling him for? I'm going to the get other guys. Kyler, Kyler, yeah, I think we agree. Kyler Murray's uh, undervalued. He's a clear from any of these quarterbacks at the top. Like you could sell Josh Allen for Kyler Murray in a one. I would say yeah, yeah, Murray. that's the Kyler Murray I'd be looking at. Kyler Murray is still scoring twenty point seven points per game, which is more than Justin Herbert, and has been atrocious. Like really bad and is still like scoring 20 points per game it's wild well i agree i agree on that front that i would be selling herbert for Kyler plus thank god we finally convinced you that justin herbert is a sell so happy he's not gonna score 23 points per game on on consistent basis but he'll probably get 20 to 22 you can tell i don't listen to podcasts a lot because i probably would have like picked up on like the fact because i now i see that you do you do that trolling a lot <laughs> Yeah, first I didn't get it. I'm like, if I had listened to probably one or two episodes, I just I don't listen to podcasts. Like I, I don't even like listen to my own. Like I, I it's it's probably just a me thing. I don't know that a lot. I'm of not a podcast do. listener. Um, I don't know what it is. Just, All right, so I'm what you are though is a George Pickenstein. We do know this. 
Yes, I am. Uh, I would call myself a stand for George Pickens. Yes, I've heard that George Pickens does not demand targets. Is this true? <sighs> I would say that's a simplified version of it. I would say people uh, would like a higher target. I would like a higher target share as well, but I, I certainly am not upset with his target share at all. Yeah, I think I, I was once told that uh, how did it go? Something along the lines of it's great to see the DFB encounter also is able to understand the nuance of threes a crowd, meaning there's already a bunch of good target earners in this offense. Ergo, we cannot expect George Pickens to have a very high target share or target rate because there simply is competition for targets. And when we often say that targets are earned, that is within the context of an offense, in which case there isn't already three targeters. So I believe somebody had once said that it was along the lines of, how did it work? Drew, Bean Counter is smart enough to understand. Is that how it went? Am I paraphrasing? <laughs> are you quoting me? I'm trying to. <laughs> I believe I included myself in this. I said, yeah, yeah, it was you and I, I, the, I, the smartest I. people in the Discord, uh, <laughs> were aware of this phenomenon where you cannot simply have everybody on the team countering targets at the same time. I think the problem is uh, a lot of this class, this rookie class, got put into situations without target earners. Like, all right, Drake London had Kyle Pitts. Nobody else in Kyle Pitts has got injured. Garrett Wilson had Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore was, like, benched immediately. Talk about Chris Olave. He had Mike Thomas for like a game or two. Even talk about Christian Watson. Like he's dealing with Alan Lazard and Robert Tunyon and, and Randall Cobb. George Pickens stepped into an offense with Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryer, even Chase Claypool was a decent player. To start. Like the fourth expected option in this offense. And he's garnered about a 15% target share. I think probably coming into this last week, price might have been a little inflated and people too, had a valid point there. Like if you could sell out for like a Hollywood Brown, get like a, an immediate producer for your team. Um, but after this one reception, two point game, like it's back down. I think all those factors are, are now being held against him. Like he's, I don't see what you would sell him for at this point where it would be profitable. Like we talk about 15%. Like you look at uh, a guy like T Higgins was 19% as a rookie. And uh, he was with like Tyler Boyd and the ghost of AJ Green. I think we would all agree that Deontay Johnson firing with Clay probably better than that. Um, it, it's not like we can just award Pickens those four four points like they, they're just automatic. Um, but we do need to consider that he's been placed in probably the worst situation out of any of these rookie wide receivers. And not only that, then we have the rookie quarterback. And he's still doing a lot. He's going to finish like a, above 700 yards as a rookie in, a, ter in a terrible yeah. offense. Not only a rookie quarterback, prior to the rookie quarterback, we also had something called Mitchell Trubisky, which is a fate worse than a rookie quarterback or death, I would say. <laughs> and the, the I would say the film grinders are on your side. You you watch the plays that this guy makes. No AC earning targets at a super high rate, but when he gets them, he is making spectacular plays. And then you look at like things like reception perception. He is running. They're asking him to run almost 30% go routes. Like he's not running high demand target right routes right now. But then you look at the chart, he's green, uh, like everything except I think the corner might be yellow, but it's yep. green and green and one yellow. So he's running these other routes with success. He can do it. And then we just talk about the college profile, all those things. He's the true freshman breakout. 
early declare after three years. This is an SEC performer as well. Yeah. Second true. second round pick. I mean, true freshman breakout at Georgia. <laughs> yeah, like this guy is a great prospect coming in. We're seeing him do a lot in what was supposed to be the fourth expected option coming into this year. Like he's not being pressed like these other guys are being pressed, and he's still going out and earning it. And people are mad because he's not T. Higgins. Like he's not going for like a th- thousand yards. Like they want him to be at t- 18, 19% target share. Like it, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, like immediate <laughs> the, the first yeah. second he hits the field. I totally agree. George Pickens, great football player. Give him time. It's he's still in the midst of his rookie season. Rookies tend to trend up as we t- go towards the end of the season. Chase Claypool is no longer there. At some point, they're going to give him opportunities in a part of the field where high-volume target earners get their targets. And at that point, you're going to be happy at George Pickens on your team and or you're not going to be happy at George Pickens on your team because the quarterback still sucks and he's probably going to suck for a long time. But I think from my perspective, I would just buy George Pickens and hope that uh, the situation works itself out. Um, okay, so George especially Pickens, coming off a one one reception two yard game, that's the time yeah. to be buying receivers it's a great after, time to after buy. the duds, right after the dud. Great time to buy Christian Watson. Is he better than George Pickens? If Christian Watson was in Pittsburgh and George Pickens was in Green Bay, I don't think that would even know, be a conversation that anybody would be having right now. <laughs> I, I think it would be even discussed. I completely agree. I think that if George Pickens were in Green Bay, he would have probably been leading that team and receiving at this point i think he's probably better than alan lazard he's certainly better than christian watson from a independent of situation standpoint i think it's it's pretty easily pickens from my perspective i think reception perception probably agrees they they probably would have watson pretty much running exclusively one type of route i would think and uh, i don't know if he was good at it. i presume he has he scored a lot of touchdowns but we are not dealing with independent of situations. So dependent of situation, we're expecting fantasy points from these players. Where are you ranking Watson in relation to Pickens and from a dynasty landscape? At this point, I don't think that's a question either. Uh, If you're trading Christian Watson for George Pickens straight up, you're leaving, you're leaving meat on the bone. Uh, I think you need to be getting a plus, but I do think it creates an interesting opportunity to go after George Pickens plus a two. Plus a two-three swap, whether it's twenty twenty-three. If I can get a random two in George Pickens for Watson and a random three in twenty twenty-four, I'll probably take. I shouldn't say probably. I will definitely take George Pickens in the two as well. Um, but yeah, I think at this point you should not be trading Watson for Pickens straight up. I think there are better ways to gain value uh, than to than to just take the less valuable player right now. I, I, when Christian Watson's a hot commodity. Yeah, the I just checked. Uh, Fantasy Calc actually has. Pickens still like 200 points higher than Christian Watson, which I'm pretty shocked by. I feel like we give that air too. That might update a little bit more. I was going to say, I feel like the game just happened yesterday though. Yeah. Coming off of the again, it's one reception game. Yeah. Especially when Watson went for, was he have two touchdowns again this week? Yeah. But I think we do at a certain point, we have to give the dude credit for like, He's not scoring long touchdown just completely accidentally. He's taking these plays and he's he's legit fast as fuck. Like he's got speed like a mo- he makes fast people. He's so fast he makes fast people look not fast. Like he is he's legit. He's got a legit something you can't teach, and that's gonna keep him relevant at least in some form or another uh, going forward. So I, I'm not as I'm somewhat bought. I wouldn't say somewhat bought in. 
um, because I still think he's a little bit overvalued. But I certainly don't feel like he's a must sell like a like before after the first uh, like two when it was just basically touchdowns. Like now it's at a certain point it becomes a trend. Like all right, this guy's scoring a lot of touchdowns. He might be pretty decent as well. Yeah, I think he's also had twenty percent targets the last two or three weeks in a row. Like kind of since he got back uh, in the lineup, he's he's been getting some serious well not serious but like solid targets for a rookie for sure. His first several games were less inspiring but uh lately it's been very impressive he uh but the thing is we also saw that with romeo romeo dubs so it's like that's where you get the concern like aaron Rodgers is is an elevator like he you give him shit and he's gonna turn he's gonna turn it into a diamond like he just can make Chick, chicken salad out of chicken shit, <laughs> you know? So, and not to call Christian Watson chicken shit, but, you know, uh, there's definitely a factor. And we don't know what Jordan Love is going to be long-term. So, I think while he's hot with Rodgers, like, strike while the iron is hot. Like, this is a good time to be exploring, especially if you can get a similar wide receiver and a plus, like plus a two, like an Ayuk plus a two. Give me Ayuk in the two, like easily. Like if you can get another wide receiver in that tier with a, some capital on top, this is probably the time to be, to be moving him, I think. Christian Watson actually reminds me a lot of uh, early career Martavis Bryant. Like they have very similar athletic builds. Watson 6'4", 208, around a 4'3", with like a 95th percentile burst score, moderate like 11 or 61st percentile agility. Huge catch radius. Um, Martavis Bryant, basically the same. 6'4", 211, around a 4'4", 84th percentile burst score. Mediocre agility score through the roof. Uh, catch radius. Both guys are like 95th plus percentile catch radius because they're huge and fast. Uh, and then Martavis Bryant basically didn't do anything in college. He played at Clemson. He played with some pretty good players at Clemson. He so has, he did have some off the field issues too, though. So that's a hard judgment yeah. to, to make. He had some off the field are, issues. There are not a lot of players who who comp like like it's hard to find players that Christian Watson looks like who yeah, no, are for sure. and then successful at a super high level right now in the NFL. I believe Martavis also came into the NFL and just like scored a bunch of touchdowns. He had eight touchdowns as a rookie on a twelve point seven percent target share, like just a freak touchdown score. And I'm a little bit skeptical that uh, Christian Watson's the same type of player. Well, I think Martavis Bryant would have had a good career if he didn't uh, have his off-field issues. Yeah. I'm just not really in love with Christian Watson having the elite target earner ceiling. His ADOT actually isn't that high right now. It's only 12.9, so like completely reasonable. Almost kind of like a Will Fuller kind of player. Like You put him with an elite quarterback. Uh, it's a little bit different because like Watson's more of like after the catch and Fuller was more like just running down the field, catching it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, yeah, you put him with an elite quarterback. He's going to score a lot of deep touchdowns, score a lot of fantasy points and you got a good career doing it, but you take him out of that environment and it doesn't always translate as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with Watson. I actually had him graded as a coin flip, which is better than I thought he was going to be graded on graded as when I first heard he was declaring for the NFL or when he was, entering the NFL draft and started to get some hype. I was like, oh, this guy's probably going to have a good profile. Put him through the process, comes out as a coin flip. I was like, oh, that's a lot better than I thought. And now that we're into the NFL, I remember actually in the Scott Fishbowl, probably my most excited pick of the whole Scott Fishbowl was rushing to the podium to select Christian Watson, like round 11 or something. 
And uh, I believe somebody made fun of me for picking Christian <laughs> Watson. I was like, well, I don't know, man. Like, he's not a terrible, he's not a terrible, terrible prospect. He plays with Aaron Rodgers. Everyone else there sucks. It's it's gonna be interesting. And now we have like eight touchdowns in four games. I'm like, I wish I was starting him right from the start because I only got two of those games. I think into my starting lineup because I was, you know, not anticipating this type of eruption. And didn't believe the first couple of weeks, and now he'll be. Actually, I think I might have got eliminated this week. Are you in the Scott Fishbowl? Yeah, well, I haven't had to worry as much as you because I I was lucky enough to draft Russell Wilson and Darren Waller, uh, oh, so it's just been like clear from the beginning. Like, hey, it's not gonna happen. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Not gonna happen. <laughs> All right. So- it was funny too. Uh, one thing that sticks out to me was like. Uh, it was the Scott Fishbowl, and I was torn between DK Metcalf and Deontay Johnson. And I was like, I don't know. So I said, all right, I'll go to Twitter. I'll let people make the pick for me. And I post the poll, whatever. Deontay Smith, everybody's like, are you serious? Is this a real freaking question? Like, wh- why would you want DK? And I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was like a really tight question. <laughs> I was like, no, you're dumb. And now I'm like, hey, I wasn't dumb. <laughs> DK's been great. Deontay's been horrible. I should never, I know better than to listen to the majority poll on Twitter. I should just pick the opposite of who they picked. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so last question. We'll get you out of here after this one. There's a running back that plays in the NFL, surprisingly, for the Houston Texans. Goes by Damian Pierce. Early in the, or I guess late in the offseason, we were kind of making fun of the folks trading 2023 first for Damian Pierce. I remember making a comment that I can't believe somebody traded their Bajan Robinson for the right to roster Damian Pierce. Then Damian Pierce got into the NFL and was untackleable for many, many games. And now Damian Pierce is getting tackled on a pretty regular basis. And what is he at now? 12.9 points per game. He's the running back 21 on the season. Uh, what do you think? Is he still worth a first? 23-23 first? This is a rookie putting up RB2 numbers. Or are you running for the hills? Because Well, we both know not- he was never worth a first. And he also is not really putting up RB2 numbers. I don't believe he's even top 20 points per game. He wasn't coming into the week. I don't believe he is coming out of the week. He's probably at RB23, 24 right now. Like He's not even an RB2 in points per game, Damian Pierce. like I don't know how... You could keep this guy on your roster, right? Let's say you're competing. Like you just go after a veteran guy like Joe Mixon, say, who's been injured. See if you can get a guy who's actually been performing at a high level on the field. Uh, We talk about the age difference. If you can't see by now, if you're playing dynasty football, that age means nothing in the middle tier of, of the running backs. It means absolutely nothing. Damian Pierce is just as fragile as Joe Mixon in that middle tier. Because all it comes down to is production. Like the second you stop producing, your value goes down. Uh, and he, they're both as unlikely to be producing, I would say, next year or the year beyond. Like there's no longevity advantage, I don't think, in a Damian Pierce versus like a Joe Mixon or even like a Dalvin Cook. Like if somebody is uh, rebuilding and stuck with one of those guys on their roster and you can go get them as a competitor, I would move move up the ladder for one of them. Or you can move down. A guy like Miles Sanders he, who I was completely out on. I was in on two years ago, a year early, unfortunately. Caught the Gainwell hype, hype train, uh, who I was very oh, happy Oh, man, why didn't we year. talk about Miles Sanders? That's a great topic. 
But he's outscoring Damian Pierce. Of course he is. In value below him. Like, is he really more fragile than Damian Pierce? Like, if you can get Sanders in a 2-3 swap, now you're getting a better competing piece, a pick down the line. You don't have to worry about the fragility of the running back position anymore. Like, if you're going to miss the playoffs with Pierce, pivot to a, a Rashad Bateman plus a 2 or 2-3 two, swap. Calvin Ridley plus a 2. Like, don't let those rebuilding pieces sit on someone else's roster where you can push Damian Pierce on them, who's, like, not even producing as an RB2 right now. Man, I, I like, I you threw me off because you brought up Miles Sanders. I had completely forgotten about our Miles <sighs> Sanders debate. <sighs> I completely like so for those that are not that one hurts. Patreon, I need to let everyone know what normally happens in the Patreon is I'll go say something, and then like all the analysts come in and pile on me about how wrong I am. And David never does. David never comes in to pile on about me. I appreciate it so much. He only comes in to tell me how smart I am about George Pickens, except this one time. There's one other time. There's been a George Pickens uh like invasion, and then there was a Miles Sanders invasion. What happened? On the Miles Sanders thing. You said that Miles Sanders has projectable upside in that Nick Chubb doesn't. And I was not having any of that. Especially with Kenneth Gainwell, who was destined to own the receiving role at this point, who was going to eat into the rushing volume and who has done absolutely nothing this year, basically been a third string handcuff. All right, fine. You win. Miles Sanders does not catch passes. He's got like 60 receiving yards this year. I believe that's somewhere around 5.5 per game. But he's in a great offense that scores a shitload of touchdowns, and you could have seen that one coming. But he's getting a 68.7% opportunity share because that's what he's always had other than when he came back from his injury last year. That was my stance on Miles Sanders. And that he would score touchdowns. I remember distinctly you told me he wouldn't score touchdowns. He scored touchdowns. He's got like... I didn't say he wouldn't score touchdowns. I said Kenneth Gainwell is going to steal the receiving work, and he's also going to lose rushing touchdowns to Jalen Hurts, which isn't <laughs> entirely untrue, but I also underestimated how many touchdowns that offense was going to score in general, which Your is quite, was quite a few. Doubting the Philadelphia Eagles being the best offense. Hey, that's not even it because I'm the biggest Jalen. I just thought Philadelphia was going to be freaking great, but yeah, I just yeah. thought it was going to be everybody but Miles Sanders, and I just was not <laughs> – Okay, let's go back to Demon Pierce. I'm sorry to to take us off track. You just just threw me off with the Miles Sanders uh, inclusion. Damon Pierce, here's some trades for Damon Pierce. I want to know which side you're on. These are December 5th, so today. Trades for Damon Pierce as of today. You could have Isaiah Pacheco Pacheco and Damon Pierce, or alternatively, you could have James Robinson, Jarek McKinnon, a second-round pick, a first-round pick, and another right. first round pick. Give me, a, give me a real actual like thinker. Don't <laughs> give me one of these fugazi. Isn't that you know, crazy? The listeners are not playing in these fugazi leagues. Give me a real trade. Give me a real Damien. Okay, here, here's the problem though. They're all like that. Like it's no. it's insane. We Keeps have Damien Pearson a third round pick for a first, a second, and a third. The first is in 2024 this time. Take any. I would take any first any year. Literally any first. I would take a 2025 first for Damien Pierce. We got a. Uh, Okay, this one's a little closer. Damian Pierce and Chris Godwin for a first, a second, and a first. Chris Godwin is not worth two firsts. No, he's not. <laughs> and Damian Pierce is uh, probably worth the second, but that's okay. it. Yesterday, this one went down yesterday. This is a very relevant trade. Damian Pierce or Christian Kirk, straight up. 
I think you got to take Kirk. Kirk is scoring a shit ton of points this year. He's actually impacting your lineup positively. Damien Pierce is impacting it negatively at this point. Kirk is actually outscoring Pierce by almost three or yeah, by almost three points per game. Take Kirk and then trade like a three for Zonovan Knight. Like you're just much better off in the long run. Here's the, here's the hilarious thing about it. Kirk is only 26 years old. Pierce is like 22. So we have basically the same amount of years left. <laughs> and you're getting an extra three points per game from a player that's likely going to maintain his role or at least someone similar to it on a go-forward basis. I was going to say, Great. definitely Ridley is uh, impacting that as well. I think it's definitely keeping Christian Kirk pretty affordable. Um, and you don't seem concerned at all about Calvin Ridley like ruining the Kirk party next year. Uh, well, I think it'll probably bring it down a notch, but I think the offense will be better as a whole. We'll get kind of like that, like, uh, you know, Peter steals to pay Paul kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think Kirk is probably not going to alpha Calvin Ridley next year. Yeah. I don't think that's likely. But Zay Jones is probably going to disappear from the world. Or, well, no, that's too dark. From <laughs> next year. So I think it's going to be fine. Okay, this is an interesting one because this is the last one I'm gonna ask you because it's like it's only so entertaining to do. Uh, who would you rather have and make fun of these trades? But this one's kind of interesting uh, because it's two players I don't like, and it's Damian Pearson, a second round pick in 2024, or Najee Harris. I would take Pearson the pick. Would you? I kind of think I'd take Najee. I don't like paying up for running backs who aren't good in it or guaranteed. Like Najee's. I just, I feel like I'm just as good with Damien Pierce. Like people are arguing Najee and Pierce straight up. Like that's a that would be a debate if you posted Pierce versus Najee. Like if you're giving me a two, I just feel like I have a better way to move than move Damien Pierce and then pocket the two. Like I'm not paying Pierce plus two for Najee Harris. I'm just not doing that. See, I feel like with Najee plus Harris- a three, sure. Plus a three, sure. I'm not paying a two on top of it. I feel like with Najee Harris, I at least have future years coming. Do you? Do you know that? Do we know that? He's not going to disappear tomorrow. Like, he'll be back next year. He's going to score a mediocre amount of points, 14 points per game. It's going to be fine. Nothing to write home about. But Damian Pierce, I feel like, could get absolutely – They're giving guys like Benny Snell roles. Like, they're just – like look into the side. Who wants to roll over Najee Harris? You want to roll? You want to get shot at the gate? You want a shot? Like Najee just, still has a seventy-one percent opportunity share. He's number ten in the NFL. It's not that he's bad. So not good though. Like, but someone's neither is Damian Pierce. But he's at least like if you look at the efficient metrics, he's actually a good player in bad offense. Like he yeah. he looks good when you look at what is he doing as a running back. Like I have more faith in him earning touches going forward than I have faith in Najee Harris earning touches going forward i would say that Najee harris is going to not have substantial uh competition added to his backfield whereas damien pierce is going to have substantial like draft capital or free agent or whatever added to his offense and that is but you terrible. have damien pierce right now i mean you both know that people want him even if I don't want him and you don't want him, there's probably somebody in your league who wants him. You're going to cash him in and a two for not – that's your way of getting out is to pay a two on top for a guy like Najee Harris who's like 
very fragile asset right now, not really helping. Well, when you put it like that, no, I don't want to. That's not the way I'm getting out of Damian Pierce. Still, just the have... trade that was on the screen. I don't know. But you're going to mislead the leaders, the listeners, and they're going and trading Damian Pierce in a two for Najee Harris. And that's okay, not something you listen, should be doing. Do not go and trade Damian Pierce in a two for Najee Harris. Do trade Damian Pierce in a two for something else. However, I do like Najee Harris more than Damian Pierce. That's, I guess, like, where I was trying like, to go with this question. Yeah, go like if we're talking Pierce and two for Swift, yeah, I like it. Look, I'll go get Swift. Not doing that for Najee freaking Harris. Can you imagine that? Did you, you probably didn't know this actually? Damian Pierce was valued higher than DeAndre Swift. I probably didn't week. know this, dude. I've been posting for the past three weeks trade Damian Pierce to DeAndre Swift. Every time I do it, I get people in my car. Are you crazy? <laughs> of course, I know this. Like, I've been was me trolling screaming you it from the rooftops. <laughs> that is how I troll you by telling you didn't know something you obviously knew because you're the one oh, that yeah. brought my attention to it. I forgot you're, you're the ultimate troller. <laughs> okay, well, I think that is it for tonight. Unless you have anything else you want to want to add, is there is there another player that you need to quickly tell the listeners is good or bad? No, I think we covered most of it. All right, well then tell the masses where they can find you. Where can you find where can where can we find David Gautieri's work? Well, you can find me on Twitter, obviously, at Guru Fantasy World, W-R-L-T. Like you said, no O, just because Twitter gives me cap limits. If they change it, I don't even know if I would put the O. I think I would keep it how it is. Uh, it's like shout out to Juice World, right? I feel like I connected him in some sort of special way, even though it just ended up like that, not by choice. Uh, but also, you can find me on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Guru Fantasy World. Obviously, in the Bulletproof uh, Patreon as well. I'm an analyst in there. Um, you can ask me questions there if you join that one. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, there will be a site up coming this offseason, uh, gurufancyworld.com. It's probably the bare bones right now. It's probably got old rankings from months ago. It's not ready, so don't check it out yet. But there will be a, there will be a release eventually for that. Um, so, yeah, just keep, keep an eye out. All right. Well, uh, once again, thanks for coming with us on this journey. We will see you next week at the same bad time, same bad channel.